from Michael Tumlin Designs. This is Creatively Brief. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of Creatively Brief, a podcast for creatives by creatives. I'm your host, Michael Tumlin, and I'm happy to welcome artist Eric Friedenson, aka FDOT, to today's show. Hey, Eric, how are you doing? Hey, Michael, I'm doing all right, doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to sit down uh, and kind of get your perspective on some of this creative stuff because you've got a little bit of a different angle. So I'm I'm excited to kind of dive into this today. I'm feeling good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you again for having me on the show. I'm, I've been looking forward to this and I love just any opportunity to go a little deeper. I feel like uh, podcasts are such a great way to give more nuance and more storytelling to everything that we put out into the world. So thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So before we dive too deep into anything, can you give everyone a little bit of background into who you are, what it is that you do, and where you're currently at in your career? Sure, yes. Uh, I am based in New York. I'm an artist, designer, illustrator, muralist. I usually just go by artists because it's simple, but whenever anybody wants to know more, I just start explaining some of my projects. These, These days, it's a mixture of painting murals, doing digital illustration, analog illustration or some combination of those two. Mm -hmm. Um, I sell products on my website from anything from prints to t-shirts to baseball cards, which is a new venture, um, and collectibles. And then I also do the client work, which is mostly murals and I have an online class as well. So I like to keep myself busy with a bunch of different types of things with my business. Um, I've been doing this for professionally for about eight years now. Uh, if you count the freelance gigs I had in college, you could, you could make it an even decade. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's been a wild ride, man. I've, I've been outside of working on my own in my own business for a little over a year now, full time. Um, I've had my business on the side for a while. I was working in full-time jobs. I was at agencies and brands, eventually spending a lot of time working at WeWork. And then a year ago, I left WeWork to do my own thing full time. But it was always happening on the side. I always had the ambition to do my own thing. And I'm just excited that this this was the year that I could make it happen. And um, I have a small team working under me as well that helps me with this stuff. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. You said uh, you like to keep yourself busy. That definitely sounds like an understatement. It seems like you've got quite a bit on your plate right now. Um but that's really cool. I think the the big thing that kind of drew me to your work is that it definitely seems like it comes from a more um, illustration and traditional art background, at least it feels like. Uh, but then you have such graphic pieces kind of mixed in. So I think that's where the angle for me, it, it seemed really cool to kind of maybe be able to dive into sort of the overlap between maybe your introduction to this and then sort of where you are uh, now with doing some more things like, uh, like the graphic pieces. Um, so how did you kind of find yourself working in the art field? Was art something that you were always interested in growing up? Was this something that was more like when you got to college, you realized you loved it? Um, how, how did that kind of come to be? Yeah, I've always loved art. Uh, it's been a big thing in my life since I could draw as a kid. And I had a couple of role models in my life that were very encouraging to just to help me keep practicing, keep getting me supplies and books and stuff. My grandmother right. was one of those people. My grandmother was an artist. And uh, she didn't do that for her whole career, but that was her, her, how she kept busy in her later years. And I had just a, a few of those like people who encouraged me to just keep creating, keep getting lost, keep like following whatever it is that you love to make and, and keep just refining that passion. 
Um, obviously when you're a kid, you're just like trying to figure out what you like and what you right. don't like before you can really refine it or figure out how to make money from it or get it out there into the world. And I always like to think back to my grandmother because she didn't have any of the tools we have today. She was an right. artist and she just created to create and she created for other people so that they would love it. She created for herself and that was good enough for her. And so I always try to bring myself back to, to her and that's how I got into it. I obviously had some great art teachers over the course of my life and I right. went to school for graphic design. Um, but that's how it all started. And I've, I feel like I've never really fit into one category in terms of designer, illustrator, artist, uh, visual artist, painter. Like I like to do all these different things. And I don't think, I think the labels can be helpful when you're trying to learn about a specific skill set or a medium. Right. When it comes to putting yourself out there, you know, it's helpful for other people to be able to understand you, but for, for how you talk to yourself, I feel like the labels really were limiting me for a while. Like I called myself a lettering artist for a while, like exclusively. And I had this whole crisis where I was like, well, if, if I say that I'm a lettering artist, but I do other stuff besides lettering, am I confusing people? Now I don't care about that much at all. Uh, that stuff like just, I try to put my, my best work out and it's mm -hmm. one creative flow, like whatever happens to be that day, you know? Yeah. I think uh, one interesting thing that I've kind of like realized really more recently, um, kind of talking about those labels is like those kinds of things. I feel like, especially when it comes to clients and other people that you might be approaching about working is that uh, they, I don't think they care as much. So I think like, I find myself getting caught up in a lot of details about like, you know, whether like what I call myself, what specific thing I want to pursue, like these kinds of little things. And I think what happens is like when you put out good work, and you're good at what you do. I don't know that they care as much about the label, kind of like you're saying, as much as just like, you know, it's it's good work. He's a good artist, so I want to hire him. Um, so I think kind of speaking to that, that you, you try not to get too caught up in the labels. I think that's important as artists in any medium, uh, just to not, not, not get so caught up in what exactly it is that you're doing, but just make sure that the work you're creating is like good work and it represents sort of what it is you want to do. I think to play a little bit of devil's advocate on that. Yeah. <laughs> I think the the clients do care about the labels sometimes add a little nuance in here because, yeah. because they're looking for people like you, they're looking to hire somebody who's good at the thing that they need done. So right. they search the web for that, or they ask around their friends or their coworkers for that thing. And who's the first person that comes to mind? It's the person with the strongest memorable work or the strongest memorable brand as a, as a designer. Right. So, so I think the labels can matter. Uh, there's, there's a reason that I called myself a lettering artist early on. It's because I wanted to be known for something. Right. And 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 after I became known for that in, in at the scale that I was sort of happy with and I was getting those kinds of projects, then I decided to branch out. And so I think it does help to have a niche, whether you have a, a, a niche label or if you say, you're, I'm a designer, but I work with this type of industry or right. I'm, a, I'm a muralist for breweries, you know, like that's super yeah. niche and you could probably get some great projects just by saying that in, in, you know, for, for a while, but then it's a, it's good to branch out if you're ready to do so. So I think those labels matter more early on than they do in your mid or late career. I think. Yeah, De definitely a good point to bring up for sure. Uh, so what was your first experience working on an art project? Can you remember anything specifically that was sort of like the, I feel like it's a hard one, but I feel like it's an interesting one to kind of hear where people came from. Uh, so do you remember your first art project you worked on? Yeah, I think the one that comes to mind is just playing with blocks, playing with Legos in my room. Um, the classic Star Wars Lego set. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, would be my first creative project that I can really remember. Although I definitely did a bunch of stuff before that, drawing, painting. Um, I would sometimes 
look at the books of like how to draw an animal, how to draw an animal in this style. And I would just copy it. And then I would try to uh, go show my parents and pretend that I actually made it without copying. (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah, I was a trickster when I was a kid. I like to make people believe things and see things differently. And um, yeah, that was like a couple of my first creative projects. Good question though. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I've hit a couple of people with it. Some, sometimes they have a harder time thinking of it. Um, I always tell the story. No, I guess it wasn't my first like artistic project, but my first design related, uh, that I can think of is a poster that I actually still have hung up above my bed. Um, and it was a poster for, uh, what is her name? Carly Rae Jepsen. Uh, I used to have a big crush on her when I was in like middle school, high school, and they had this competition and they said, uh, you know, make, make a poster for her. And the only rules were like, don't use pictures of her. And I didn't read the rules because I was young and wasn't paying attention. And the entire thing is made of images of her. Um, and it's just, it's, it's not a very good poster. Um, but <laughs> I keep it up above my bed to remember where I came from. It gives me a little bit of a hope that I'm still moving forward at least, you know? Um, but very cool. Very cool. So looking at your work as I was going through, um, I kind of talked about the graphic nature of it, but also that it sort of still feels very um, illustration heavy, uh, more traditional art inspired. Uh, So how did you kind of develop your style? Were there any specific uh, people, movements, anything like that that you feel kind of uh, paved the way for the style that you have now? Yeah, so I think my two biggest influences that I like to cite are Keith Haring and MC Escher. And I don't look at their work every day. I don't uh, eat, sleep, and breathe those two artists' work because I think it's healthy to have a really big mix of influences. And it's not just visual artists, too. It's uh, right. you know musicians, filmmakers, whatever. Uh, and I think – but if I had to look at my work alongside my inspirations, those are the two ones that I find the most commonality with. I love the playfulness in MC Escher's work and just the mathematics and the, uh, the balance and the making you double-take – when you look at it, the perspective shift, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and just the fact that he was a master craftsman. Like if you look at some of the etchings and the drawings, he just really, really cared about quality. And then you have on the other hand, Keith Haring, who he was much more like run and gun, like let's get out there and paint some sloppy lines and make something cool in like less than an hour. Yeah. You know? Um, so I like the bang for your buck approach that Keith Haring had. And also just the fact that he believed that art was for everybody. It didn't just belong in the galleries and books and museums. Right. Um, I, I strongly believe that with my brand, I want to make stuff that's accessible to, to most people that can that want to enjoy art, can enjoy something from me. Um, right. so yeah, those two philosophies really resonate with me. Yeah. I think your point about trying to make it accessible to speaks to you kind of working on these murals. Uh, I, it's not really any more accessible than that. You know, that's about as accessible as it could be. Um, because it doesn't cost them money. They don't have to buy a print or anything like that. It's, it's up in a public place for people sort of to, uh, just, you know, enjoy it for what it is. Uh, was that something, was that like a, a motivating factor in you kind of getting into murals whenever you were first doing it? Or was it something that was more like, did you get into murals more from like the, the opportunity just sort of presented itself? Definitely was interested in murals before I had an opportunity to paint one. Um, I went to, I went to college in Philadelphia at Drexel mm-hmm. University and they have a, a lot of great murals and a lot of great sign painting around that city. And so I was just like walking around, taking photos on my phone and, and do, I did a little research project for my senior thesis about it mm-hmm. uh, in, in graphic design. Like I wasn't actually painting the signs, but I was studying them and doing a retrospective about the whole craft of sign painting. 
And then after that, I decided to learn how to paint again, you know, as a, as a letterer and, right. uh, and as a muralist, simply by just trying and failing a lot. Yeah. And also reaching out via Craigslist or wherever I could to like find assisting gigs. So I assisted a few sign painters later, kind of realized I didn't want to be labeled as a sign painter. A lot of the work that they were getting was painting other people's logos that they didn't even design. Yeah. And so I think that you can be a sign painter and an artist, but and I guess that's what I am in a way, but I don't call myself sign painter. Um, that's how I got into murals was through the lettering, through sign painting. And I, I I, think it was like partially just due to my fascination with it all, like the craft of it all, that right. you can still hand paint messages and advertisements and artwork outdoors and doesn't all have to be me- mechanized and printed. Like there's, a lot, there's so much more soul in it when it's hand painted and when right. somebody took their time to go through those details one at a time. They were there. You know, you can feel the artist's t- energy when you see those, those little imperfections. And I love that. So I, I always want to make something that cuts through the noise that resonates deeply with, with the audience. And I think hand painting a mural was a great way to do that. Not to mention just get it in front of more people, like you said, right. And that's good. That's good for the ego, but it's also good for the business. It's good for like getting the art out there, which begets more art, which begets more art. Right. Um, yeah. So have you, (laughs) have you found that since you started doing those, you've kind of had more people contacting you for work? Oh yeah. I mean, it's it especially like when you get a mural in a high traffic place, yeah. because if you get a mural wall at, uh, I did the most highly trafficked place I ever did a mural was in union square in Manhattan mm-hmm. wow. and it was up for about a year. It wasn't in the park, but it was just catty corner on one of the intersections. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was a Sunday kind of love mural. And it was a very New York-y, uh, stop here and take a photo type mural. So that one got a lot of uh, a lot of people reposting it and sharing it and stop, stopping by. Of course, not everybody wants to credit you for the work, even though right. it's like right right there on the wall. It says my name. Yeah. Um, and also my friend Will's name, who helped me paint it. But you know, people people don't immediately credit, but for the people that do, it it ends up going a long way, and it can lead to a lot of great opportunities for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool because I know like any of the work that I've ever worked on is definitely more of a like client, like meet a client kind of thing. Right. So it's not out for like everyone to see. I haven't worked on any like installments or, or bigger pieces like that that are kind of just open to the public. Um, so that, that's interesting. It's almost like word of mouth without necessarily having to have the person tell people. It's almost like just having, cause I assume, would you just like, do you put your Instagram handle somewhere on? Is that how you kind of link back to yourself? Yep. Exactly. And if you yeah. Google my name, F dot, like you can find all my stuff. So just even without the, without the at symbol, people can find me. And, um, I always put my name on it. I think it's important to sign your work. A lot of mm-hmm. artists are timid. They don't want to sign their work. They don't want to be the center of attention or they right. sign it so small that people can barely read it. Yeah. I don't believe in any of that. I think you got to take credit where credit is due. Right. Yeah. hundred so, <laughs> percent. I'm definitely on your side yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah. I, I try to lift up other artists as well through the, the muralists project, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yep. Um, but that's where I talk about a lot of this stuff of like why murals are such a great opportunity for anybody who wants to create. It's just such an escape from the screen, from the typical, like, I don't know. I always love physical stuff. I like doing digital and physical artwork, mm-hmm. but I, I, I think I'll never get tired of doing physical artwork. Uh, yeah. It just has a different, different feeling for sure. Yeah. hundred percent. So then looking at murals, aside from the difference in digital and analog, uh, what, how do they kind of differ from something that would be maybe more of a digital project as far as your thought process, how you kind of plan it, um, kind of the, I guess, the, the planning stages of it, how does that differ from a digital project? 
Okay, so I think we should differentiate here from digital process versus digital product because I could okay, spend my yep. I could spend I could design something on my iPad that gets turned into a print, and that's technically a physical right. product. Um, but it was made it was designed digitally. So are you asking me about all of the above? Or are you asking me about uh, digital products? So I was thinking, uh, I guess physical products, just something I guess the difference between maybe like hand painting the mural versus you know working in uh, Illustrator, Procreate, something like that to make something that's really more of a digital piece. And you're just asking me about what, how do I feel about the different processes? Yeah, like do you approach it differently when it's a mural yeah. versus like another piece? Uh, besides a mural? Yeah, yeah, I think, so over the years, I've gotten more loose with my, with my painting and with my drawing, with my risk taking. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, I feel like I could come up to a wall with a paint marker and just draw something and eventually probably be happy with it. Right. <laughs> Which I don't think, I don't think I could have done that a few years ago where I could yeah. just have no, have no plan, completely improvise a mural, uh, with a big paint marker. And I, that was by design. Like I, I just saw that as being a really fun activity. And so I practiced it and practiced it. And now I feel like, uh, I love that aspect of things. And then with digital, I find myself trying a lot of, a, a lot of different variations, a lot of different color palettes, a lot of different, uh, styles to get to the right thing. And it ends up taking me longer sometimes because I just right. have so many more options at my disposal. Once you, once you paint onto the wall, it's kind of a pain. You, you can always cover it up, but it's kind of a pain in the ass. It's a wait for the paint to dry and then cover it up. So I try to avoid right. that as much as I can and get things done in one shot. Um, in, in terms of other projects outside of murals, I think for my baseball card project that I've been doing all year long, I've gravitated towards the iPad and Procreate because I know that these are going to be printed by the thousands and I need to get it right. And right. it's like easier to get that right. Because even if I did physically, I end up having to touch it up in Photoshop. I need to be happy with it. Right. It's going to be printed on a physical piece. Yeah, like I'll use my iPad. Um, but sometimes it's a mix. Sometimes I'll just be like drawing and getting ideas. And then like the sketch becomes the finished artwork. Right. Um, because the sketch has so much uh, pureness in it. It's the idea straight from my brain to the paper. It's like you don't want to over refine it. Yeah. There's this really, there's this really great phrase from uh, Ken Barber. He talks about like, beware the seduction of production. Yeah. So because just because something is so heavily and highly produced doesn't mean it's going to be the best. Right. It's the same thing we see that on social media, like some of the most unpolished videos are the ones that captivate you the most. So, like, why is that? You know? Yeah. That's actually a conversation I've been having uh, with the past few guests on this show. Uh, it's something that I definitely struggle with. I get very caught up in technical things. Um, and kind of like I was saying earlier, like, I, I've noticed that my audience typically doesn't even notice the things that I'm hung up on. And so I'm working on letting go of that a little bit. But I think you're right. A lot of times, uh, like I look at TikTok, sometimes I post my stuff on TikTok and my things are like made in After Effects, things like that. And these other people are just like taking a video on their phone and theirs blows up and mine doesn't. So I don't think that's like, I don't think the, you know, the quality of it in that sense is what's going to make people find it interesting. It's, it's the substance behind it, I think, that's more captivating. Yeah, and even if you had the same substance, same storyline in both videos, I think when it's so heavily produced, it's like psychologically, we see it differently. We see it yeah. as like, this looks like it was made by a team of people versus one person on their iPhone. Right. Um, or th this looks like it was passed onto the computer. So subconsciously, we're thinking like, that's not as authentic and off the cuff as something that was quickly made. A, a hand-drawn sketch is the same thing. Like if you, if you can see that the paint marker was dripping all over the place a little bit, um, <laughs> all over the place a little bit. 
but <laughs> <laughs> if it was dripping a little bit, you can see that there was some mistakes or some humanity in there right. and it was done by a person, not like this mass produced thing that was done digitally. So I think it, it feels differently subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree with that. Uh, so then can you kind of give us, so you talked about how whenever you, you were kind of starting out, you were, you labeled yourself as a hand lettering artist and you got a degree in graphic design. So then you kind of did the hand lettering. Now you're working on murals. Uh, you have the, the baseball cards, and then you're also doing some of your pieces that are screen printed. Um, so how did all of these sort of come to be? What is sort of the timeline of it? Was it, you know, getting out of college, you were kind of interested in all of these things or did they sort of organically evolve? What, what, what did that look like? So the first few years out of college, I really wanted to do lettering as my main thing. I wasn't getting any freelance projects in that field, so yeah. it was not easy. I had to like assist a bunch of sign painters, or let's just say I got to assist a bunch of sign painters yeah. and um, just learn the ropes and pay my dues in that way and just practice, practice, practice. I did a daily drawing project for a while. Um, yeah, it was just a lot of trying to be this lettering artist that was, you know, more further along than I actually was and a little bit of fake it till you make it just curating how I show up in the world because if right. I was going to post like the reality of my situation one it wouldn't be that interesting for people and two like that's not getting me anywhere so I would just make lettering every day for some purpose and then I would show it being used in that purpose right whether it was a logo or a sign or something mock it up to make it feel like it was legit and it worked to, in, in a sense over the years, I started getting some inquiries for lettering. Um, as, soon, as soon as that started taking off, I got kind of tired of lettering of like <laughs> only being a lettering artist because yeah. it's, lim it's limiting. And there's certain things that I wanted to communicate that I couldn't do with words and letters and it needed to be done with abstract art or illustration. And right. that's when I kind of went back to the drawing board and uh, that's when I also got the iPad and started using Procreate. Uh, I did a project about skateboarding and illustration. Shortly after is when I got into murals. Um, I was working at an agency and they had a big chalkboard in the office. So I just mm -hmm. kind of took over the chalkboard as my wall <laughs> and turned it into a work in progress mural wall. And I would invite friends in and it was pretty low pressure, but high reward because a lot of people would see it around the office and it just like boosted the, the morale of everybody there. Um, and then I think prints and baseball cards came afterwards. The prints really started, uh, I, I'm, I'm leaving out a core piece of this story here because I know you have it on your questions. Okay. Um, if you want to hit it, you can go ahead. I don't want to interrupt the, the, the explanation. Uh, well, the idea that, uh, that I create art for optimists, that's what my brand yeah, yeah. is about. Art, art for optimists is something that I, I saw you were going to ask about in this episode. So let's just get into it. Um, in that time where I was trying to make a name for myself as a lettering artist, I went through like the craziest life experience ever <laughs> that I had yeah. and it was, it was losing everything I owned to a fire in, in my apartment and having to pick up the pieces afterwards and figure out what I could do with my life and how to move forward and restart. Right. And I think I was in the building too when it happened and it was really, really scary. And if I had been sleeping in that day, I might not have made it out alive. So I, I think, you know, just, I'm, I'm so thankful to be here and just to be able to create like, that's good enough for me. Yeah. And I, and I think it, it, for me, it took having that near death experience and losing everything to really understand how valuable life is and how valuable like the essentials are. Cause I was able to bounce back pretty quickly and right. I had, I had a lot of help from my friends and I didn't need to freak out and, and feel like life was over cause I was healthy. Right. That's the most important thing. Like I was alive. Right. I was healthy. I could, like, I didn't lose my hands. I could still draw. Right. So, like, why, why freak out? 
Um, you know, it was a huge challenge to get over and it was scarring, but one of the things that came out of it was this optimist mentality. And it was a sketch that I had made earlier in the, in the week before the fire that we just happened to find digging through the, the remains of my apartment, found my scanner and inside the scanner was that sketch and it said optimists. So that was a huge turning point for me. And it, it put me on this path of creating feel good art, creating art that makes other people happy and um, re- makes you realize like what's so good about life, even though it's a scary, scary world. Yeah. There's still a lot, there's still a lot to be grateful for. Um, so that's, that's what my mission's all about these days. And that's how it started. Um, yeah. Let's, what, what do you, what do you think? Like, did, did that, um, did that come through when you first discovered my art? Did that mission come through or, or was it something that you read about on my site? No. So I saw it. I don't remember. It's been a little while now since I first found your page. So I don't know if I saw it first, but looking at your work, it definitely screams optimism to me. I think the bright colors and those organic shapes, it gives a very, um, definitely optimistic, but I'm thinking like almost like a sense of safety. I think the organic nature of it makes it feel not so harsh and and rigid, if that makes sense. Uh, sort of like you were saying, you know, the world can be scary. And I think that's a good way to represent that would be harsh edges and you know, all that. Um, so definitely the organic nature, the bright colors, it definitely, it definitely makes me feel happy. It feels bright. It feels light. It feels, uh, like it gives happiness for sure. Well, well, thank you, man. Well, well, what's so interesting is, is that, um, when I was doing all the lettering and I was so focused on being a perfectionist with that craft, I was, uh, of course I was trying to put my spin on it and make things like funky, chunky letter forms and my style. But, um, a lot of times I would fall into that seduction of production trap of making it, trying to make everything perfect as I could. Right. And I, one day I kind of woke up and realized like, that's not who I am. You know, I'm not a, a very type A organized human being. Like I like to be a little bit rough around the edges and, uh, I'm, my life is not very repeat repeated every day. Like I like to have variety and, and have right. a little bit of chaos in my life. And so like, why shouldn't my artwork also have a little bit of that chaos and some of that warmth and that um, organic nature that you were just talking about yeah. that matches my personality. And so like, once I realized that I stopped making uh, vector work as much and, and started making more physical work, more raster work where I could control some of that rough edge a little bit, or yeah. at least just like keep, keep it there, you know? Yeah. I think that's yeah. really interesting. I'm definitely uh, type A. I'm very much, and, and I don't, I have a big appreciation for people who can do the type of art you do, but it's definitely not my thing. Like I can't do it. I can't make it. Um, so I'm definitely more into like layout and like the Swiss movement with very sharp, clean lines. Um, so that, that's very interesting, the, the contrast between the two. But uh, your work definitely gets across the optimism for sure. And, and that's really cool hearing that story too. Little did I know. I've had other people on the show. I've never, that was a, a good answer for the reason behind art for optimists. Um, and I'm glad you made it out. I'm glad you're able to be here. I'm glad you're still making work. Your work is really, really cool. Thank you, dude. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I think for anybody who's listening, who maybe you feel the same way about your work of like, well, I, I do this work because I think it's good but it's not me. Right. Right. Like sometimes you got to have that reality check, like look at yourself in the mirror, look at your portfolio and be like, is this actually who I want to be? Or is yeah. this just who the world told me that a successful creative person looks like? Right. right. Like, so once I realized that I was trying to fulfill someone else's version of what successful design looks like, yeah, I, I kind of threw that out the window and said like, no, this is my life. I make the rules. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as far as like, what my work looks like. I get to control that. So, um, why not just get to know yourself and put that into your work? Right. Yeah. 
hundred percent. Absolutely. You gotta, you gotta be real with your work. I think, I think people recognize that whether it's subconscious or not. I think whenever you're designing, uh, more for others than you are for yourself, it's recognizable. And I don't know what it is. I couldn't tell you. Um, but, but definitely I think it's, you can see it. You can, whether you're an artist or not, I think you can feel it whenever that's not authentic to the artist. Well, I think it also shows just in the quality because we all have these magical superpowers, as I like to call them. Like we're all really good at something <laughs> mm-hmm. that the next person isn't. And if the person, if you're if you're truly being who you are in your work and you're showing that, then it's going to be better. It's going to be great work that stands out because it's different and because it's good. Right. And obviously, that takes time to refine it and to get and to improve the work from the beginning, but. Uh, if you're doing something that you were essentially born to do based on your combination of DNA experience, like that's going to be, it's going to show in the quality. And um, if you're imitating, if you're doing something just because that's the way it's always been done, or that's the way that people are saying it's good design, AKA like trends, um, then that's also going to show and it's not going to stand out as much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about his community called Muralists and his Tops Baseball Card Project. Hey, everyone. I wanted to drop in to tell you about Audio, an audio licensing platform. All the music for Creatively Brief comes from Audio, so as you can tell, they have really high-quality music. But the really cool thing about Audio is that they offer a lifetime subscription and are constantly adding new music to their catalog. Unlike other platforms where you pay year at a time or month at a time, Audio is one fee and then you have a lifetime subscription to the service. For Black Friday this year, they're offering a lifetime subscription to Audio for $100 off. Starting this Friday, you can click the link in the podcast notes below and use code HOLIDAY at checkout to get $100 off a lifetime subscription to Audio. No matter what type of music you're looking for, Audio has it. Be sure to check them out today and be ready on this Friday to sign up for $100 off a lifetime subscription to Audio. Welcome back, everyone. So, Eric, you co-founded the Muralist community to connect Muralist worldwide. Um, I was hoping you could give us a little bit of of background into that, so sort of where the idea came from, what it is that is sort of like the the core objective for that project, and, and sort of what you're doing with that right now. Yeah, sure. I'd love to share about it. Uh, this is a collaboration that I've been doing with my partner, Jesse. That's Jesse Mordine Young. She helps me with a lot of different stuff on it, from finding different artists to feature, to writing about their work. But mainly, it, the Muralist community is on Instagram. We were able to get the Instagram account just at Muralists. So real simple, you can find us there. Um, the whole initiative is about educating, connecting, and just sharing really cool murals and muralists that we discover. Uh, we just felt like there wasn't really anything out there that was being done in the way that we wanted to see it. In that on Instagram, most people are just reposting the art and just saying art by this person, art by that person. And I really wanted to go deeper and get to know these people behind the art, share their story, uh, learn from them for my own personal gain, but also to share with the world what what is what they know about painting murals, what they know, what they've learned about being a creative and also beyond just the craft itself, because these people who paint murals are really interesting humans, you know, they they travel, they interact with people every day, like, you know, not as much this year, but it's a really fascinating craft. I felt the same way when I met those sign painters early on, it's just like they, it's a different type of creative person than right. your typical graphic designer. And um, they're, spe- they're really special to me. And I feel like even just to do a mural, to paint a large wall takes a lot of uh, 
mental fortitude, determination. It takes a, a lot out of you physically as well. So um, the people who stick with it are, are really special and, and cool in my opinion. And yeah. I think I first started discovering this uh, back when I was doing that project for, for my senior thesis, but also when I worked for WeWork and I was traveling more and painting murals for them. And we even got to hire some local artists uh, in different cities and, and different countries. And I was just like, okay, I need to record these conversations because we are, I'm just learning so much. And I, I yeah. just think these people, like, I want to surround myself with these kinds of people. Yeah. And I think that's like the biggest, the biggest tip that I give to any creative person is just to surround yourself with the kind of people that think, talk and act the way that you want to be. Right. Right. And, and it will rub off on you because there's that famous quote. It's like, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. I think the, uh, so, the interesting yeah. part of that is, uh, you, you mentioned that you, you kind of got into this because you were having these great conversations, you were learning. And so you wanted to keep learning. Uh, and it was, uh, partly for you to learn while you're doing this. I think the interesting thing, and I've said it multiple times on my podcast, but I started the podcast, not with the intention of learning and then got slapped in the face with a whole bunch of knowledge. And I was like blown away by how much I've been learning from the podcast. Um, so I think mine has sort of, it didn't start that way, but it's definitely become that where like every time I sit down to talk to someone, they teach me something different. Uh, and so it's been a really awesome experience that way. Um, and, and to that end also, so your muralist community has a podcast. Um, so you, you talked about the education side of it as well, not just featuring artists, but getting to know them more, uh, as artists and then also kind of educating. So how does that sort of play in? Is that, do you do that through Instagram? Is that more of where the podcast comes in to sort of do the education? Um, how does that kind of fit into everything? So we always are looking for new artists to feature and to interview. Uh, it's not just about the work, but it's also mm -hmm. about how they present the work, how they talk about the work, right. what's, the deeper meaning, what's the deeper meaning behind it, and how does that fit in. And also, some of these muralists are coming from underrepresented communities in the art world. Like, how, how amazing is it when you find your first ever transgender muralist? And right. you can feature them and put them on this platform. And it's like, wow, I've never met somebody in that community which is often forgotten about or treated differently, but we get to put them on this platform and give right. them a voice. Um, so I think it's just like finding the artist is the first step. And then sometimes we decide right from the get-go that this person's gonna be awesome for the podcast and the Instagram. So we reach out via email and talk to them about what they would, if they're interested. Uh, sometimes we just love the work and we wanna share the work and, and get to know a little bit about their process. So we have a little survey form that they can upload high-res images and answer some questions so that we can craft a caption that encapsulates everything. And sometimes I wonder whether people read these long captions or whether people actually listen to the podcast. Yeah. But um, I think in the end, we're putting something out there and as long as one person finds it valuable or or meaningful, like that's good enough for me. Yeah. And yeah. So it just depends on the artist. Sometimes they're not much of a talker. Sometimes they have, they don't even speak English, so we can't have them on the podcast. Right. And that's why I like having such, such a global community because murals are all around the world. They're in pretty much every single country. So why not keep it interesting, keep it diverse. And we're doing our best to do that for sure. Yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, so where, where do you kind of see this going in the next few years? Is your goal just to kind of keep doing what you are doing? It, it seems like you've already got a, a good following with it. Um, you definitely know exactly what you're trying to do and you're doing it well. Uh, so is that kind of where you want this to be and you're just going to continue or do you have any kind of bigger goals that you're kind of looking towards right now? Well, I would love for, to be able to actually have events, paint murals or we teach murals. I've done a mural workshop before. It wasn't tied to this muralists project, but it was at a conference. And right. I'd love to have some muralists events where it's like 
I was traveling to LA. So we have a muralists meetup in LA or right. people can eventually even organize their own events under the muralists platform. I just feel like this, I, I, I meant to touch on this before, but I feel like the mural medium has a lot of baggage with it because there's like the graffiti and street art scene where right. those are known for not being very transparent, not known for not like welcoming in everybody into the community uh, for, for good reason in that, you know, whatever, whatever the, the context is in, in that city around street art, like it's different in every place. Like in New York, you can't just go paint a mural in any neighborhood without getting some, like it's, it's, it's disrespectful to the neighborhood right. sometimes if you just go in there and paint. And I think that's true for wherever you go. You should, you should like realize that there's a con there's a place and time for everything. There's context for everything. And you might right. be overstepping just because you want to do your thing on, on someone on this wall. Doesn't mean you, you know, it's not your wall. It's like, their right. Wall, right. Right. So, so it's, it's, this, it's different than doing illustration. It's different than doing something because it has a physical context. There's people that interact with it and therefore you got to be respectful. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's why there wasn't really anything out there like this. There wasn't a podcast out there like this. Um, and I wanted to try to bridge that gap and say, you know, murals can be for anybody as long as you're doing these things that I've learned through, from all these people over the years, right. um, being respectful, like trying to figure out what your style is and that you're not just copying someone else's style. Um, all, all these different things that, that we share on the platform. Yeah. Uh, I, to I totally forgot what your question was, but I hope that was helpful. <laughs> uh, no, that was, that was good. Um, yeah, no, I think that's an interesting angle too, being that it's specifically about like murals, muralists. Um, definitely not anything I've ever seen. Mind you, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm not as much into the more traditional art things with like paint and all that. So I wouldn't necessarily be seeking it out, but, uh, I've, I've never heard of anything like that. So I think that's a really cool platform to kind of be pushing for and, and trying to bring those artists out where people can see their work. Um, that's very cool. Uh, yeah. So kind of transitioning a little bit, uh, you've got your project, the tops project, and we kind of talked about this, uh, in the middle here in, in between recording. Uh, so I'm just going to ask you if you could give me sort of an overview right now and we'll kind of dive into this a little bit, but so can you tell us just sort of a, a big picture what your tops project is? Sure. Yeah. So this year tops, the baseball card collectible company, sports card collectibles, uh, company, they reached out to 20 different artists around the world. Uh, I was one of them and they ha they sent us all the same 20 cards mm -hmm. from their archive to be remixed in each one of our styles. So there's 20 artists doing 20 cards. There's 400 cards over the course of the year coming out, being uh, put up for sale for short intervals of time to make mm -hmm. it exciting and surprising. And uh, it's been really cool to see everybody reimagining these cards and all the how all the different artists approach it. Some of them stay super true to the original cards. Some of them yeah. completely flip it on its head and use new imagery that wasn't even on the original card. And Tops has given us a lot of creative freedom to play with the card. And obviously, they have to get it approved by the MLB right. before it goes live. Uh, and they've been getting a little more strict about how we how we reimagine them for you know I think some of the early cards we were totally like anything goes. Yeah. Um, and it's just been a really cool journey to see my work evolve, to see all these other artists work evolve over the course and, and just to learn how to design for this very specific medium. Yeah. Uh, really sm small canvas and just to see it, how far it's gone. Like one of my cards got printed 35,000 times. That's crazy. So it was like, holy crap. There's 35 pieces that I made 35,000 
tiny pieces of art out there with the same yeah. piece. <laughs> and it's fun to think about where those are going to end up and yeah. how the collections come together and everything. Um, that's, that's the basis of the project. And just, I think the most surprising thing for me was just how much interest there was from collectors, not just baseball card collectors. Cause there's like obviously a small uh, niche community of adults that love to collect things and collect right. cards, but it's also for kids. It's also for art collectors, like the sneaker collectors scene kind of got into it for a while. It's because they were able to actually like flip the cards and make money on them. It was, it yeah. was an interesting summer for sure. Um, and it's really just transformed my business. I'd say. Yeah. This project. That's There's a lot crazy. of new eyeballs, a lot of yeah. new people coming in. Yeah. So, um, whenever you were kind of like getting in it, was this, did you pursue them? Did you see that there was like a thing and there were like applications and all that? Or did they literally just like, they found your work somehow and they just reached straight out? Uh, they reached out to me at the beginning of this year. It was right before the pandemic. Yeah. And most of my mural projects would be canceled due to the pandemic right. and, or, or postponed. But luckily this one, uh, they actually had planned to do a bunch of events throughout the year at stadiums and do like art shows with, with, the, right. with the cards and stuff. But eventually it just turned into an all sort of e-commerce project. And yeah. so uh, they approached me. And I think the person who works at Tops was already following me for a few years. So it, it just goes to show you, like, you, you never know who's in your audience fully right. until you get that email being like, oh, I've been following you for a few years and just waiting for the right opportunity to work with you. Right. And so you, you got to have faith that all that time and energy you're putting into curating your work and, and sharing your best stuff, making your best stuff, it's going to come back around. It just takes time. Yeah. So looking at these, this project and sort of, uh, you know, starting with, you know, you, you weren't working on anything like, uh, baseball cards, right. And then they approach you. And so now you're doing all these cards. What has been sort of the biggest challenge in it? What, is there something that, cause obviously you're kind of like your work, I feel like at least as I've seen it, it's murals, which are huge. And then now these tiny baseball cards. So was it sort of weird transitioning? What did you feel was sort of the biggest, I guess, hurdle to overcome in that? I think in the beginning, I did not really know much about the world of baseball cards. And obviously, like my goal is to make my best artwork in right. whatever way that I think is best in that moment, given given the brief, given the circumstances. But the first card, like I did not do enough research on the card. The second <laughs> card, I got the nickname wrong. <laughs> like I wanted to put the player's nickname on the card and I like flipped it. You know, it was like I had, right. I, had I just didn't do enough research in the beginning. And so after doing a couple of the cards, I ended up saying, you know what, if I'm going to do all this research and really do this right, like, I feel like I could start a little community of, of people that are interested in my cards and give the collectors access to my process, get their input on the cards and really take the research to another level. Mm -hmm. and so that's when I started my Patreon page. And so my, I have a Patreon community. I'm actually doing a live stream with them later tonight where, uh, where I take them through the whole process from start to finish on each card. I give them, give them an opportunity to give ideas, give feedback on the card. Right. I obviously can't listen to everybody, but I, uh, people love to be involved. And then if someone's idea does make it to the final card, yeah. like you can imagine how special that's going to be in their collection for forever. And, and it's special to me too, because it's, it was something from their memories. Like I didn't right. grow up going to the Kansas city Royals games. So somebody else will have a better perspective on that, you know, and if I, and I think that's been an element of my, of all my cards going forward after like the third card that I did was just like an element of history and respect for what the player was really known for on and off the field, not just trying to remake an old baseball card with my style. Right. You know? 
Yeah, and so there's obviously, um, I feel like there's a big difference between like some of the mural pieces you do that have a little bit more of those, uh, I, I think you described them as blobby earlier, uh, <laughs> those, those kind of little like characters. Yeah. Um, and, and I see a lot of these baseball cards don't really use as much of that. Obviously, I think you're, like you said, you're kind of trying to keep it authentic to the player and what they were known for. So how do you kind of balance between the two? Because on the one hand, you want to give it your style, and at the same time, you don't want to overtake what the card is actually for. There's a really good quote that is from, I believe it's Christoph Neiman, the illustrator. Mm -hmm. And he says, uh, you can't always make great work. You can't control making great work. You can control making good work. And if you show up every day and make good work, sometimes great work will happen. Yeah. So sometimes I want to do it all and I want to get everything into the card I possibly can. A bit of my style, a bit of the history of the player, uh, my characters, my line work, like everything. I want, I want to try to get it all in there. It doesn't always work. It, it's uh, sometimes I end up finding the way that I can position elements on the card and it just so works where I can put the thing that I'm mostly known for, like my characters, my blobby figures into the card. And I love when right. that happens. Like one of the cards I did recently with Ken Griffey Jr. He's one of the biggest cards in the set. I was like, I have to find a way to make this work. And so I put yeah. a, little, a little line drawing of the Seattle skyline with my blob character on top of the space needle. But that's not like the main focus of the card. So it's it's I was just able to tuck these details in there. I don't want to just completely redraw each portrait because I'm not a portrait artist. I know that I right. uh, that's not my strong suit. I've done a couple of the cards like that where I completely redraw the portrait. And it's it's really difficult to get right. And if you know, if those eyes or if the mouth doesn't look just perfect, like the actual person, then it really throws off the card. You know, it, it doesn't right. look like it doesn't look like the player. So for most of them, I'm just rolling with photography and then surrounding the photography of the player with my elements. And then some of them I'll redraw, but I'm just like going card by card. And I think the thing that's most consistent throughout the cards is like the colors, the borders, the little Easter eggs you can find in each card. And I'm mm -hmm. hoping that like by the end of the set that they all just look so uh, consistent, but also fun to look at in terms of the inconsistencies and the, the little things that make each card unique. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so have you gotten a chance to like meet the other artists that are working on this, at least virtually? Um, have have y'all like reached out to one another? <laughs> I thought you were going to say the baseball players. Um, oh no. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't met the baseball players and I have, I have met one of the artists in person named Blake Jameson. He just lives okay. uh, a couple miles away in Queens. So I was able to skate over there one day and see his studio. Um, I have been communicating with some of the other artists for sure. They're all, they're all really busy. So getting a hold of them is yeah. tough, more than just like a quick message back and forth. Um, I have had like, I did, a, I did a live stream for my Patreon community with one of the other artists and mm -hmm. it's, it's really cool to get inside their head and see how they approach the cards. Cause we're all doing it slightly differently. Right. And I think that's what makes it interesting is like every day, two new cards come out and we can see how that person approached re reimagining this same card that like I've already done most of them. So I can see like, wow, I didn't think to do that. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Uh, and then I assume I would hope, are you getting a copy of every card that you're working on? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, tops offered all the artists a discount. I still have to buy the cards. I don't, I don't okay. get them for free, but I get a, I get a decent discount and I'm able to buy, uh, as many as I want. And I can also sign them and resell them as oh, sign cool. artworks basically. So I turned my shop into, it's a print shop, but I also have a section for the baseball cards. 
And so I'm still, I'm selling the cards as, as I get them, basically, I'll get a package of cards from tops. I'll sign them, make sure the quality is like pristine, right. Repackage them up. I'll throw some paint, some signatures on the packaging also, and sell it as like an artist product. Um, which is like, it feels different from buying than buying from a huge company. Right. It's just, right. These are all made in my studio. So, and then also I've been doing these things called companion cards where, uh, I, I didn't get this idea originally. Like I, I saw one of the other artists doing this. He was basically saying, I'm going to go and design a card based on one of my tops cards and call it a companion card. And it doesn't have to have a baseball player on it. It right. doesn't even have to have a team on it. It just has to be inspired by that. And so I've been doing a, a, another set of cards alongside the tops cards where I go get them printed locally and buy the cases and everything mm-hmm. and sell those along with the, with the tops cards on my website. That's very cool. Yeah. That would be awesome. I'm I'm thinking about that, and especially if you had if you could get like all the different artists' uh, uh, version of it, right? And you you have like these sets around. Like if you were really into baseball cards, I feel like that would be so cool. I mean, that's the thing is most of my audience is not into baseball cards, or at least yeah. my previous audience. My 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 audience prior to this project was not into baseball cards. It's a super niche thing. Yeah. Um, I loved baseball growing up and it's, I'm, I'm grateful that it was a part of my childhood and that I can't, this kind of comes full circle. Like I used to collect cards myself when I was a kid. Um, but for a lot of people that wasn't really in their childhood or they just weren't really a sports kid. So I, I I definitely want to make sure that I keep mixing in like my other artwork throughout the year so that I don't just become like known as a baseball card designer artist. Right. right? Like I, I I definitely, I care a lot about that project and that community of collectors has been so awesome for my studio for my business it's allowed me to really take things more seriously this year and also have assistant people in my studio helping me do the shipping that kind of stuff right uh which previously i was doing it all myself so yeah i owe a lot to the baseball card community but i also know that it's not uh the only thing i want to do next year i have a lot of other plans you know yeah so and to that end like do you have any plans are you interested in continuing any kind of sports work in the future or are you thinking that you might go back to a little bit more of what you're doing before your your own kind of style of work I think it's all my style for sure you can see my style well, yeah. in all of it and, and it's sure. just a matter of like applying it to different things I do think that there's a lot of opportunities in the sports art sports design world that I don't want to be closed off to I'd yeah. love to do another project for tops in the future. I'd love to do projects for teams or other leagues or sports. And just cause I'm a goofy skateboarder dude doesn't mean I can't design, uh, I don't know, soccer memorabilia. Why not? Right. You know, like it's, it's cool to be able to bring that unique perspective to a niche that wouldn't be predictable. Right. Right. Like, of course the sports designer gets hired for that project, but why not hire like someone, what the wild card? Yeah. Right. So, um, I'm not closed off to any opportunities, man. I like to, to think big and just like let things come to me. Sometimes I do think that I've made the mistake of saying yes to too many opportunities. Yeah. Uh, even, even this year, like with, with the top stuff, it, it essentially turned into like a full-time project. Um, and cause I have a new illustration to do every week on, right. for that. Um, and so I want to make sure that I don't overcommit my time and right. do only sports work, but I do want to, I definitely don't want to say no to that stuff. I, I want to keep it best part of my brand for sure. Yeah. Uh, so what, what are your sports, uh, baseball, you mentioned soccer. I assume you're into soccer. What, what, what do you watch? What are you interested in the most? I, I actually not that into soccer. Like I just no? said that because it's an example of like something that I would be down to do, even yeah. though I'm not in that world. Like I, I, I know basics of every, of all this, of all the common sports. Yeah. And I have, I have an appreciation for all of them really. Like there's not really many sports out there that I'm like, that sport's stupid, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, like I, I think I wouldn't do something for golf. I wouldn't do something for curling. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these like obscure sports that, yeah. uh, wouldn't be as much of a market for, or I just like, I find it hard to see like the overlap of my style and golf. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, but there are some out there like basketball, football, soccer, tennis. I used to play tennis when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, I could totally do something in those realms and I think I'd have so much fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. I, I, I'm a big baseball guy myself, so I would love to see some baseball or not baseball. I'm sorry. Basketball. Look at me getting all confused on here, but basketball is my thing. Uh, basketball and football. So that would be nice. cool to see some of those kind of things for sure. What's your favorite team? Well, I don't know. I, so I gotta, I gotta confess I bandwagoned hard when golden state was good. Um, cause I didn't watch a lot of basketball. So I was like, well, if I'm not, I don't, if I don't have time, I'm going to watch a team that's fun to watch. Uh, now all of them got completely benched. So, uh, I'm an Orlando magic guy through and through I'm from Orlando. So that's, that's my team, but, uh, they're not the most exciting to watch right now. So (laughs) good to know. Well, if I ever get anything with, uh, basketball, I'll make sure to, to make you an Orlando magic themed sketch. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That would be (laughs) Um, awesome. It's funny, man. Like I used to be very anti team sports. Mm-hmm. In, over the last decade like I just didn't like all the rules I didn't like that there was a winner and a loser I didn't like the keeping of score right I just thought like it could lead to a lot of like toxic masculinity co- competition and um unnecessarily uh, unnecessary like anger yeah <laughs> in my life like when my team loses or whatever <laughs> so that's why skateboarding has been so great for me is just, I can just express myself I can just go out and <laughs> yeah hang out with friends and have fun um but then after I started getting back into these baseball cards, I kind of realized like some of the things I do love about team sports and that they're like, yeah, of course that there's, there's that toxic masculinity. There's that negativity or us versus them mentality. Right. But there's also this side of like, for the love of the game, right. It's yeah. a game. There's yeah. game, there's rules. Like we don't do this just to beat the other side. Like we do this for the love of the game. Right. And that's the same reason I go skateboarding. So I, I did find some commonalities in that over the, over the months this year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, skating when I was little, like probably 10 years old, I tried skating, uh, just about broke my arm. Uh, and I do not do broken bones or anything like that. Well, uh, even blood <laughs> makes me feel faint. Uh, so that was pretty much it for me. Uh, picked up a longboard a while ago though. It's been a while since I've ridden one. Uh, but I keep thinking I want to get back on one. I it's, it's a very, like, it's a relaxing and like meditative process to grab your board and just go. Um, so maybe, maybe you'll get me back out in the, uh, in the, I'll say quote cold. Cause I know you're up in New York, so it's probably freezing up there, but the, the Florida cold for me. <laughs> yeah. It's getting cold up here for sure. Today I, I skated to the studio and it was freezing like windy, Yeah, but there's hopefully going to be a few more days of good weather before it's like snow time. Yeah. Um, my brother actually just moved out of Florida and oh, yeah. he's moving to Las Vegas from Orlando. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. I, I went world. down and visited him a few times. I was going to say actually, actually earlier, yeah. um, I had in here cause I saw that you visited mama sauce. Was that, were you down here visiting your brother when you visited them? Yep. Visited mama sauce. Cool. Got to see the, the, the printing operation there. It's really cool. Uh, they, they do such good work Yeah. and I haven't had the opportunity to, to do something with them yet, but hopefully it'll line up soon. Yeah. That's very cool. Uh, so kind of transitioning then what has been your favorite project to work on so far? Uh, whether it's, uh, a bigger project like the Tops project, or then an individual piece. What's what have you sort of enjoyed the most? I think the Tops project and my work at WeWork mm-hmm. were the two most meaningful projects to me, um, just because of the scale. 
and because of the collaboration that happened over the course of the project, I, I strongly believe that my best work comes when I work with people I trust, people I believe in, people who are really skilled at what they do, but yeah. I can't do what they do. Um, so that's like I mentioned in with the Patreon, like I couldn't have done that, the work that I did this year without the input and the collaboration from those supporters and collectors. Right. Just like with WeWork, I feel like we had a, a really awesome team of interior designers, architects, other muralists and illustrators. And I just got to work on such a variety of projects there that really helped me launch my career, helped me launch my business. Um, so I'd say those are the two. But if I had to pick one specific card or one specific mural or something, I'd say it was the, the project in Mexico for WeWork where we did the, it was, it was a mural, but it was on the floor. So it was oh, just cool. like soc soccer field mural. It's a mini soccer field, football. <laughs> Originally, it was going to be a basketball court. And I was like, are you sure we shouldn't do soccer in Mexico? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so we did, a, we did a soccer field on a rooftop of a building in Mexico. And I got to do the floor graphics for it. That's and, cool. Uh, it, and after going through a bunch of different iterations, the final design that we came up with had my blob characters like front and center on the That's art. That's cool. You know, you I would never expect to see my my characters that big, especially because they were fairly new back yeah. then when I had just starting to discover that style. So uh, I'd say that was like my favorite mural I've done, just because of the scale of it. I get yeah. so excited when when you can experience art in new ways, yeah, not just in the same way that you're used to experiencing it. But now I can walk on my art and I can see right. other people playing playing soccer on my art. So it's just like that just shoots off all kinds of you know, synapses and, and like <laughs> endorphins in my brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So you said it was on the roof and it was, a, it was on the floor, the floor of the roof. So did you have to take like, to get pictures, did you have to take like a drone to get pictures of it? I mean, we got some pictures without the drone, but we definitely flew the drone, got that top down view. And, uh, I bought a drone that year as well. So I just yeah. like, brought it with me to Mexico. Yeah. That's crazy. That sounds awesome. Like, I, I don't know that I've ever, or I, I shouldn't say I never will, because maybe now this will spark it, but I've never worked on anything at that scale, especially not like that, where you'd actually have to, like, when you think about that, you actually had, like, you had to have special equipment just to photograph the piece. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. And it also, like, makes me feel like anything's possible. You know, mm -hmm. if I can do, if I can do that size of a mural, why can't I do the entire side of the building? Right. Like a, like a 10 plus story building. Yeah. yeah why not? Uh, sounds scary to be yeah. at that height, but if, if I can, if the art functions and it works and it's enjoyed at this scale on the floor, like why not, you know, it just gives me ideas for the future. That's what happens whenever you level up in your career, whenever you see, like you get a taste of what it's like to actually get that thing that you were excited about. Yeah. And then you just like want to keep growing from there. And I think it's dangerous to just like keep wanting more and more and more and never be happy with what you have. Right. Uh, that's not what I'm trying to imply at all. Like I'm, I was happy before that project happened and uh, I, I'm happy now, you know, like I, I want to make sure that as much as I'm trying to grow and reach for bigger and better things, everything I have right now is like good enough, man. If I die yeah. tomorrow, like I'm obviously don't want to die tomorrow, but after that <laughs> fire, man, it just, it, it became a really big reality check where like, if I'm not doing what I want to be remembered for every day, what am I doing? You know, right. this, life is too short. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Or if I'm not working towards that, because for some people, it's just not realistic to be able to do what you love every day. Right. But if you're not working towards that, then what are you doing? You know, you're waste, you could be wasting your, your precious time and yeah. your passion.
I know. Uh, so my sister is a professional photographer and artist as well. And she, um, one of the things she always talks about, and, and I actually had her on, I think it was the second or third episode of the podcast. Um, she talked about like how much like background stuff there is to kind of get you to where you're trying to go. So you think like, like for you, I want to make murals. Right. And it's like, somebody might say, okay, you then go make a mural, but it's like, well, there's so many other steps that it takes to lead up to that. And there's so much background for like the business side of things, uh, you know, making sure that things are profitable, all those things that go into it that I think a lot of people don't think about whenever they're thinking about it. Um, so that's a good point. And this kind of leads in well, um, what do you think is most misunderstood as having about having a career as an artist? Um, is there anything that you kind of feel is a recurring theme that you think people maybe just don't quite understand? People don't understand about being an artist. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a lifelong thing to be developing. And it, you, you never really arrive and you say, like, I've made it as an artist. Right. Uh, because as soon as you get that big opportunity or you finish that big project, it's a fleeting thing. You know, it's it's out there in the world and it's it feels great. But then you're on to the next thing. And um I think it's it's hard it's easy to forget that when you're just looking up to to the artists that you follow online. Right. Um you think that they're just like always living the dream like no like their personal reality is probably not what you think it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's different like when they get finished that project they're probably exhausted and it's a great feeling but then it's fleeting and it's like well what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, I think that's one thing and then the other one is uh the business side of things. I want to just reiterate that what you said making it profitable is one thing, making it sustainable is another thing. Yeah. Um, and then when you realize how valuable your time is and how much stuff we do, that is so not worth our time. Like the 80, 20 rule is so huge. Uh, it's never exactly 80, 20, but that's just like a principle that you spend 20% of your time on getting 80% of your results sometimes. Yeah. And you also spend 80% of your time getting 20% of your results. Yeah. So that 80% of your time could probably be used on something better. And I think just being real with yourself on how you use your time yeah. every day is something I'm continually working on every day. Yeah. And as a, being a business owner and being an artist, like I have to get real with myself on a more consistent basis than I'm comfortable doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's hard. I mean, there's so many distractions in the world and I I'm guilty of it. Uh, I have a game on my phone, eggs, Inc. Uh, if anybody's interested, it's a great game, but don't download it. If you're trying to be productive, uh, it's so easy to just pull out of my pocket in the middle of me working. I'll be like, Oh, I just finished this one, like tiny task. Let me pull that out and play the game for five minutes. Uh, and, and that's how I think for me, that's the biggest thing that gets me to that, you know, 80% of my time doing 20% of the work. Um, but it, it's hard. It's hard. I think we're in a society where you're constantly sort of like that instant gratification. Uh, you know, things are coming at you so mm-hmm. fast. You're always saturated with information. Um, it's easy to get mm-hmm. caught up in it uh, for sure. Like, so it's, it's important to kind of slow down, I think, in all areas and kind of just breathe for a minute uh, for sure. Yeah. And I also think that um, pe- people see business and art as opposites and they see them as two different worlds but i think that there can be both in the same world and it's, yeah. it's more like of course it's possible that we're all born on this like sliding scale of right brain left brain uh analytics versus feelings right um, right but i think that in the real world like outside of your brain the two can exist as one even if you're stronger at one or the other right um and they need to go hand in hand they need to work together 
if you want to actually continue making art for a long period of time, because you got to sustain yourself. I mean, sure, you can have a day job, you can have a part time job that pays your bills, and then you just do art for fun on the side, whatever. But for me, that was never really the the, the goal. I wanted to do this full time and right. want to waste my precious time. Yeah. So I think just getting smart with business first before I try to become like the best possible artist I can be was a good investment. Like you can learn yeah. art, you can learn business in the same season. I listen to a lot of podcasts just to get my money right, try to right. get my business off the ground before I can really take a lot of risks. Yeah. Yeah. So then what would be kind of looking back at, at where you started in your career, where you're at now, uh, what would be sort of like the biggest piece of advice that you could give to someone who's maybe just starting out in, whether it's a design field, uh, starting out as an artist, a muralist, whatever, just in the creative industry, what would be your biggest piece of advice to them? I'd say like, don't be afraid to go after what you want and also don't be afraid to change what you want. Yeah. Because you might think you want something, but then when you start doing it, you realize it's not that enjoyable. Yeah. And you, you, you were glamorizing the end result and not the process. So I think, yeah, don't be afraid to go after what you want, but don't be afraid to learn more about yourself, learn what you want and then change your actions accordingly. Yeah. I think that's a good one. Uh, you know, I, I look at social media and I think that that probably plays a role in people being more hesitant to, uh, to change course, you know, cause the algorithm, you start posting something different. It's not going to show your audience as much. Um, so I, I think, uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I just, I feel like, uh, there's hesitation from the creator side and I think that's a dangerous place to be where you're creating for that. Uh, so to your point, like you have to be intentional about creating for, uh, what, what you feel is, uh, the best representation of what you're trying to create. I'm just going to say, fuck the algorithm. <laughs> um, fuck the algorithm. If you're using that to make all your creative decisions, like that's broken. And also just because you make something doesn't mean you have to share it. Yeah. You can share some things from your past. You can remix things from your past. You can slowly transition people from one thing to another if you yeah. want to do that. You know, you don't have to change. Like what you do every day does not have to be what you post on social media. It just doesn't right. like... If, if you do, you're limiting yourself, I think, because social media is about, is about capturing attention, driving them to something, creating awareness for whatever it is that you want to share. Um, it can be about educating. It can be about a lot of different things. But the fact of the matter is, like, you have a small space in someone's feed to give them something to chew on or to make them feel something. Right. And you can control that. You can, you can use that for whatever you want. It does not have to be like this fake idea of authenticity. Right. I hate that when people say like, you're not being, well, no, I, I never hear this comment, but I imagine that some people talk about authenticity saying like, well, that, what that person's posting isn't actually authentic to what they do. It's like, well, they're just using the social media for what they want to use it for. Right. They don't have to share every aspect of their life or every aspect of their work on that channel. That's not what they're using it for. Right. And so we can all use it. We can all use it in different ways just because we, just because it was designed for one thing doesn't mean it's always going to be used that way. Right. Um, so that's, that's what I have to say about the algorithm. And another thing like to hammer that home is like, do you think that your favorite musician came up with their best song because of the, someone told them what the algorithm wanted to see? Yeah. No, that's a good they like, point. they like got their freaking heart broken and then they wrote a song about a, a redhead, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then it went viral because they just, it was, it was, it was huge and like they felt it and it was like pure. Yeah. Maybe it didn't, maybe it didn't go viral. Who knows? But like, who cares <laughs> about that stuff in the long run? And also virality, like going viral with your work, like it's not as cool as you think probably. Like it might be the worst thing that happens to you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So 
just enjoy what you have, enjoy the process, the growth one, you know, compare yourself to yourself, not to others. Yeah. Uh, Easier said than done for sure. But it's, it's a worthy pursuit just like everything is. So, um, that's what I'd say to anybody who's just like trying to make a name for themselves, trying to play this game that we're all playing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Very good advice. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up today's show, but where can everyone find your work, Eric? You can find me on Instagram at F dot E F D O T. Uh, I post there almost every day. And then on my website, it's uh, efdotstudio.com. And that's where I have my shop, my newsletter. That's the best way to, to see like everything I do. Because Instagram is just a slice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you're really interested in the baseball card project, you should check out the Patreon. Because that's where I share like really deep behind the scenes stuff on that. Uh, not everybody wants to see that, but if you are into baseball cards or collectibles or just want to see my illustration process like for that, check out patreon.com slash dot. Perfect. Uh, and I'm going to drop links like I always do in the podcast notes to all the different ways you can connect with him. Uh, also, uh, anything that we talked about today, I'm going to try to put all that down below as well. So if you want to check any of that out, make sure to hit up the podcast notes. Uh, Eric, I want to give a huge thank you for sitting down to talk to me today. I really do appreciate it. I think we had a great conversation. I, I enjoyed getting to kind of dive into some of that. So thank you for, for being on the show. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> and thank you to everyone else for joining me for this episode of Creatively Brief. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review and follow us on social media at Creatively Brief. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, have a great week, everyone. I'll talk to you guys in the next one. Hey.